Hey, this is Aisha, and before we get into the show, I wanted to let you know that Peterborough Currents is an independent news outlet, and we're funded chiefly through audience contributions. And right now, we're trying to get to a point where we can sustainably operate and bring more voices and more stories to you. If you like what we do and want to keep us around, head over to peterboroughcurrents.ca slash support us, and consider becoming a member. We really appreciate it. Hi, I'm Aisha Barmania, and you're listening to The Neighbors Podcast from Peterborough Currents. In this season of the podcast, we're introducing you to the people living through and working on the front lines of the opioid crisis here in Peterborough. And for this second episode of the show, I wanted you to get to know more about the Peterborough Drug Strategy. It's the name behind a lot of projects that are being put out into the community to address the crisis, and I think there's an opportunity to learn a lot more about it. To name just a few of those projects that they're involved with, there's the initiative to bring a supervised injection site downtown, now known as the Consumption and Treatment Site, there's naloxone distribution programs, there's the Mobile Overdose Response Team, and and we're going to dive into those projects in upcoming episodes. But for this episode, I wanted to back up and just ask, what is Peterborough Drug Strategy? And to answer this question, I spoke with the Drug Strategies Coordinator, Jessica Penner. Here's our edited conversation. Peterborough Drug Strategy is a collaborative of organizations. Um, We come together to help identify gaps uh, in the Peterborough system uh, related to substance use and helping to support uh, mitigating the harms associated with substance use. So uh, we represent the four pillars of addiction, our partners. Uh, We've got about 13 partners and They come from treatment, prevention, harm reduction, and enforcement. Uh, So that means we have partners um, such as hospitals, CMHA, Forecast, PARN, public health, police, um, and then a whole pile of other partners that uh, come from those pillars. Yeah. And I want to come back to the kind of collaborative approach in the four pillars and partners in a second. But um, could you tell me a bit about what's the the mission and the mandate and like what what are the boundaries of the scope of Peterborough Drug Strategy? Yeah, sure. So we we often listen to the um, what our partners are hearing about what's going on in the community. So what that might look like, what uh, sorts of things are they hearing from their clients, what sorts of um, things are coming up for them for their staff. We try to look at what are new and emerging trends, and then what falls out of scope for the individual agencies that already exist in our community. So the the, the variation in activities can be quite um, wide, uh, So because, uh, again, we're just filling what those gaps are. So we end up doing um, a lot of work related on training, on stigma, on uh, supporting harm reduction in the community. Um, uh, we're working on evaluation. We do lots of uh, different things. And then, of course, we're the other goal of the drug strategy is about the collaboration between the partners and building those relationships between those partners so that 
Um, we have more communication across sectors and we have a better understanding of what's going on in the community. Even if the Peterborough drug strategy itself can't fill a gap, then at least there's more understanding from different sectors around what's going on. And we can start to see uh, trends and start to see gaps. And, you know, sometimes our, our individual agencies will end up filling a gap that's identified by the group. And and so you talked a bit about the, the collaboration um, aspect of Peterborough Drug Strategy. And, and could you just tell me more about how that works? Sure. Uh, so the drug strategy originated with uh, four pillar partners um, who are Peterborough Public Health, Peterborough Police Service, Forecast and Parn. Uh, who came together and identified that there was this need for more collaboration in the community. And um, so that's where the drug strategy originated from. And, um, and they still, those still, those same partners still uh, reside as our pillar members who are more involved in uh, guiding the sort of week to week operations and what grants we um, are able to apply for and can be more responsive. Um, And then we have, uh, we have partners, uh, PDS partners, who sit at the larger table and help inform and provide context for the activities. And uh, each one sort of acts a bit as a consultation in terms of like what we're seeing, what they're seeing in the community, um, and what they need. And also, the drug strategy is responsive to the needs of the partners. So during COVID, for example, the partners actually felt like we needed to be more connected, and so we started increasing our meetings. Can you tell me a bit more what 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 does it mean to be a partner organization like what kind of commitment is that to 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 do anything <laughs> uh, so we we ask that our partners are able to attend the quarterly meetings and to uh, be engaged in that process uh, as well as to be responsive to those sort of intermittent needs that, you know, maybe the PDS staff might call upon um, if possible. But of course, it's always based on their um, where they're at staffing wise and um, their level of busyness as well, because we want to I mean, really what we're there is to extend the reach of the of our of our partners right we don't exist separately even though i mean of course we we sort of do but the goal is to help our partners be able to do to better serve their clients so we're all like i think it the drug strategy helps connect us and feel like we're part of a big team trying to make things um you know better as much as we can of course um, yeah, and then we also, for all of our projects, we also strike up a an advisory committee made up of our partners. You know, ensuring that the project is representative of um, of the of the different perspectives. Right. I wonder if you could speak to like what what are the what are the outcomes or what are the benefits of like having these kind of conversations with these organizations who are doing this work? Like, why 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 focus on this collaboration? Uh, I think we recognize that substance use impact or the the harms associated with substance use impact individuals in lots of different ways. And so their interactions with different agencies are, um, you know, are in different contexts. And so we can't really have a whole picture of how to move things forward without taking this four pillar approach. Um, and this model of the four pillars is, is how most of the drug strategies across Ontario are focused Um uh, and just to ensure that it's cross-sectoral. The way we like to uh, describe it here in Peterborough, that the magic is in is in the gaps. And so we can, that's where we can like make 
the biggest impact as a collective. Um, because we know that like, you know, all the different agencies are specialists in their own field, but you know, there's this in-between space that no one is really a specialist of. And so we need to work together to figure out how to best, um, you know, make things happen. So, uh, you know, one of the examples I like to give is a few years ago, we were able to access um, funding through police um, for a community-based project. And we were able to actually start distributing naloxone at the emergency department at the hospital in Peterborough and help train um, the nurses, uh, as well as we did some work with the physicians in the in the emergency department um, uh, with uh, related to naloxone and substance use and stigma. And again, this was police funding that was directed towards the hospital. And now it's standard process to to have access to naloxone in the eMERGE department to be sent home with people who come in with opioid or substance use related concerns. But back then, I mean, this wasn't that long ago. This was before that. And so it allows us to be a little bit on the edge of things when we can work together and leverage resources like this. Um, and even just little things like we ended up having to purchase the naloxone uh, for this project, uh, which is quite expensive. It was about it's about one hundred and sixty dollars per uh, naloxone kit. But at the time, actually, police were able to get a preferred rate. And so through this connection with the police and the money, and so we were actually able to then purchase it for $110 instead of $160. And again, it's all these like little sorts of opportunities for collaboration that allow that funding to go further and for us all to be working together. So that was a project that the drug strategy led because it was this like interagency. And of course, we walked, we had to work super closely with the eMERGE department and the manager there at the time who was facilitating the internal processes um, of the project. Yeah, so that's just one example that of something that falls, that allows us to like work across these sectors to, um, to be able to have benefits for our community. Yeah, absolutely. It, it sounds like um, making these connections between the like mandates of different organizations as well. Like, yeah, that's a fascinating example with the naloxone funded by the police, but in the hospitals. Um, yeah. So, uh, so the other thing I wanted to ask about was um, the the four pillar approach is something that makes up like a, a pretty pretty strong core of the Peterborough drug strategy. Could you tell me more about what it is and and why it works? Yeah. So. Um... It, the four pillars, as I mentioned, are uh, harm reduction, treatment, enforcement, and prevention. And um, uh, I mean, every drug strategy operates a little bit differently in how they incorporate the four pillars. And um, our our focus is actually on breaking down the silos between the pillars, but having representation from all of the pillars. So recognizing that um, those who work in each of those lanes are the experts in those lanes and, um, and that having the different perspectives at the table allow us to create solutions that work in the context of um of how each pillar operates so um and uh and so the way it 
it works with the drug strategy, with our drug strategy, is that we all come together and help influence the different projects that we realize that are outside of anyone's scope. Uh, other drug strategies can be different, though, and each one is sort of oriented to how each community works. So in Peterborough, I think we have a really good working relationship between, and we're a smaller community. So I think we can, we can bring everyone into the same room who represents all the different pillars and be able to have a conversation about how, um, you know, something affects each individual agency. So, I I mean, one example um, was that uh, a you know, it's there was training needs in the community. So we were having public health, I think even forecast and PARN were all getting a lot of requests for having staff trained at different agencies and different organizations, even businesses that uh, related to how to respond if there's an opioid overdose on site in uh, at in a workplace. And these, you know, this isn't re- like those sorts of training is is a bit outside of scope for any one of those agencies. They all have their mandate, but obviously everyone's invested in wanting to support the community to be able to respond in the chance that there is an overdose. So what we were able to do was to set up, was to work together and, um, and set up a committee that would oversee uh, and that would have rotating trainers. So we had one set of slides. We would um, we would be able to have, uh, this was before COVID, so we were able to bring people into uh, the space at the health unit who were able to donate the space and then different trainers from the different agencies who all have the expertise to be able to deliver this content um, would rotate through so that we were able to meet the needs of the community and be able to respond to that request. So originally it started with a grant proposal that allowed us to put some, to have a staff person. And so the staff person was able to design that. And then when we write a grant, we always are able to tack on a a few extra uh, parts of the project. So at the same time, we really wanted to move forward the needle in Peterborough around uh, bars and restaurants having naloxone on site. And, uh, you know, lots of other communities at that point, this was 2017, lots of other communities already were doing that in Toronto, out west, you know, it was just standard to have naloxone on site at bars and restaurants. But here in Peterborough, um, there was a few places that did. So we wanted to move that forward uh, here. So we again, purchased some naloxone to hand out to bars and restaurants because it is an expense and then set up special training for those businesses to be able to, you know, meet their training needs. Um, Again, it just allows us when we have when we have funding to make a project like that function, it gives us just a dedicated person to be able to focus on how to make this work and then how to work with the different agencies. So it's it's it sounds like there's like um, this incredible collaboration between lots of different organizations. It strikes me that there's potentially a missing piece of of people with lived experiences like informing this. It sounds like a lot of organizations and professionals at the table. I wonder if you could speak to to maybe why that is and 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 how uh, Peterborough Drug Strategy might bring in the voices of people with lived experiences. Yeah, so we definitely, I mean, it is important to our collaborative to have the voices of lived experience. It's been something that um, has sort of morphed over time of how we've done that. The initial drug strategy um, 
uh, sort of our focus in terms of priorities in the community was a was a large consultation, sort of like a research project, I suppose, where there were lots and lots of agencies that were consulted and lots of people with lived experience. So there's a document on our website. Um, I mean, it's a bit out of date right now, but it, there's there was lots of consultation with people with lived experience. Um, and through each of our projects, we try to I mean, each project is totally different. So the process for engaging people with lived experience sometimes changes depending on what the project is. Um, for our uh, project at the hospital that I already mentioned, we had a person with lived experience sitting on our committee that was compensated for their time to help advise this hospital project and how the naloxone distribution was um, was delivered. And then we also did the training with the um, um, the nurses and doctors, and we had uh, a few focus groups with people with lived experience to help inform the training that was then delivered to make sure that we had incorporated perspectives and opinions um, from people who use substances to make sure that you know we're telling we're training on issues that feel relevant to them. Um, a couple of years ago, we also started a panel of people with lived experience, which was a really amazing project from my perspective. And we got really good feedback from the members of the panel. We had 11 people who sat on the panel for a year, and or it was just short of a year. Um, the whole project was a year, but there was some time to get going um, before we actually had recruited all the individuals. And the panel met twice a month, and they were able to act as advisors to the drug strategy, as well as to our partner agencies. So we would set up every month, we would set up um, presentations and have uh, the panel review maybe documents in advance and to help give feedback to different agencies on initiatives as well as the drug strategy and how we were operating and things we need to consider um, uh, through all of our work. So, I mean, we're, we're really uh, focused on being able to compensate individuals for their perspectives and to um, be able to, uh, you know, respect the expertise that they bring to the table, something that, uh, you know, we don't want to assume we know. So unfortunately, as the all funded projects, uh, when funding comes to an end, the project uh, doesn't always get to continue. But, uh, you know, we strive to be able to, we still have the individuals or a lot of the individuals from that panel. And we've tried to bring them in to uh, consult on a few grant proposals and projects. And so uh, they're not all uh, still available because obviously people's schedules change. Um, but, uh, you know, it is with every project proposal that we write, every grant, you know, there's always an element of how can we engage people with lived experience through this and, like I said, to compensate them for their time. Yeah, that seems like a an unfortunate um, like setback to 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 project based funding and project based initiatives. You know, once the funding's gone and without the 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 steady core funding, the 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 project just fizzles out. Yeah, I mean, we try to set up sustainable. Well, maybe not fizzles. Out. No, I, I think you're right. Like a lot of project based funding just kind of ends and then that's it. But really, the intention of a lot of the work that we do is to set up systems that can be maintained. And sometimes we're lucky, like with the naloxone distribution at the hospital, just as their naloxone supply was running out was just when the when the province mandated that 
that health units could distribute naloxone to the local eMERGE departments. So it actually worked out really well because our eMERGE department was already had processes in place and was all ready to go. And so there wasn't even a gap between between our project ending and then when the province stepped in. So that was lucky for sure. Um, or the other project that I mentioned where we were training um, uh, businesses and agencies to be able to respond to an opioid overdose. The intention of how we planned that project was to was with sustainability in mind of how can we create a small role for each individual agency that doesn't feel like too much of a weight, but allows them to still maintain the goals of that that sort of core function um, to continue. So, I mean, it's not ideal. Unfortunately, the panel um, was one of the ones that was harder to, um, to keep going. Um, but I think we learned a lot and we've tried a few times. Uh, there was one project that ended up not running that had we had it operate, we were going to incorporate the panel as a regular check-in throughout the project, which would have been really great for helping to um, re-establish uh, our processes. And again, we're so lucky that the same members uh, of the panel, at least a majority of them are still around so that we can pull pull them in as um, as works for for them and us. Yeah. And, um, you had mentioned that there's a, um, an association of Ontario drug strategies, um, working at kind of a provincial level to bring these groups together. Um, I wonder if there's any push there to, to lobby the government for more, more funding, like the, at the provincial level or federal level, I guess. Yeah, so we are working on that. Um, we, I sit on a committee that is helping to work towards um, um, getting a staff person in place for the provincial network. So I think that's really our first step is to have someone that can sit at the central point of that, um, that overall network to be able to fulfill that role that you mentioned, to be able to, you know, work with government and to really raise the profile of what drug strategies are doing across the province. Um, you know, with 30 different drug strategies, all with, I mean, I think we're one of the smaller drug strategies with 13 partners. Some of them have up to like 40 or 50 partners that sit at the table. I mean, think about the amount of energy that's going into this types of this type of collaboration across the province. There, I can't even calculate how many partners that must be, um, but it's a lot. And so, uh, you know, it's this it's this amazing network, and I, I really believe in its. Um, in, in what is happening here in terms of, um, you know, this cross-sectoral learning. There's so much to know from working together and collaborating. And, and I've benefited so much from this network, even just without being able to work at a provincial level in terms of um, raising our needs on onto the profiles uh, that, you know, politicians are paying attention to. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, it, at, at looking at, at all the different organizations and or all the different drug strategies and how they've grown up um, in this very grassroots kind of way, like there's no mandate for municipalities to have a drug strategy. They they just they seem to. Uh, you can correct me if I'm wrong here, but they they rise up out of a local uh, interest and a local need. Um, it's it's a fascinating. Um, thing to happen, especially in so many communities. Yeah, it is amazing. It really is. Um, a lot of 
a lot of uh, health units are responsible for helping to uplift the drug strategies in different communities. Um, often the drug strategy is hosted by a health unit uh, because they have health promoters who do this kind of work. And are foc- there's usually at least one or two health promoters in every health unit who are focused on substance use. Um, whereas our drug strategy, like I mentioned, is different. We're, we're independent from our health unit, but our health unit is a, a strong supporter of our work. So each community kind of tailors uh, their drug strategy to what sorts of resources and capacities they have um, in their community. Yeah, that's amazing. Um, and so my last kind of question for you is, first of all, is there anything else you'd like to add to this conversation? And second of all, what, what do you think is important for people to understand about the uh, opioid crisis or, or the, the drug crisis in our community? I think I, I think in terms of uh, just one thing to reiterate uh, in terms of last things to mention is um, that it, I don't think the collaboration is always obvious um, uh, to the public in terms of what's happening here in Peterborough. And um, and so it's nice to have this opportunity to share that because I think there's a lot of collaboration and by no means is it is everything perfect here right but that's what we're trying to work on so um there is there is real intention in terms of trying to make the system better and help meet people's needs as best we can um yeah thanks so much for for your time today uh jessica i really appreciate your perspective on this yeah thanks so much for having me it's really great to have an opportunity to chat about the drug strategy like this and to know it's part of this series where you're looking at all different perspectives related to um, the opioid crisis as well as substance the impacts of substance use in our community that was jessica penner the coordinator of the peterborough drug strategy And that's all that I have for today's episode. Um, Music in this episode comes courtesy of Hurricane Charlie. We'll be publishing stories weekly for the next little bit on the opioid crisis in this podcast. If you have a story that you'd like to share or an idea for us to pursue, please get in touch by emailing us at info at peterboroughcurrents.ca. I'm Aisha Barmania. Thanks so much for listening, and I'll talk to you soon.